Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So I don't trust trees. They're kind of shady. Yeah, and I definitely don't trust stairs. They're always up to something. (laughs) Have you guys noticed this time of year? Have you noticed when you go to Walmart or even driving down the road, have you noticed how many like ghosts, goblins, ghouls, skeletons, weird things are in people's yards and around? Have, Have anybody noticed that? Oh, you have. You have noticed it. So uh, there is a preoccupation. There, I, I tried to turn on the TV the other day. I thought I'd watch something for a couple of minutes. I flipped across. You know, I had a procedure done, and I had to sit at the house. So I thought I'd turn on to find something to watch on TV. And all they were were Halloween movies and scary movies. I personally don't watch scary movies. I did back in the day. I don't anymore, and I'm, I'm tell you why, all right? I went to see this one back in the day. And I realized there was a spiritual nature to it. There is a spiritual nature to our preoccupation with ghosts, goblins, ghouls, and all those things. And uh, I think it is a revelation to our culture that because we're so preoccupied with the spiritual that we really, really are hungering for real spiritual things and we're manifesting by looking for the dark spiritual things. So with that being said, today I want to talk to you through real spirit, real spiritual things. And I would like it if you would, would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? I told you we're in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Y'all ready? Three chapters in 30 minutes. Y'all ready? Here we go. Now about gifts of the spirit. Now I want to argue with this text and this interpretation. Because I read Greek and reading Greek, the word gifts is not included in this portion of the text. Gifts is actually what we're going to talk about a little later on in chapter 12. And he eventually is going to get to gifts. But I think there's a disservice done to the proper reading of this first verse. Because what he says in the Greek is now about two panomaku. And two panumaku means literally the things of the spirit are the ones of the spirit. And what he's going to talk to us about here are the spiritual things. Not specifically the gifts of the spirit, but he's talking about something greater called the spirituals. And that being said, he says, brothers and sisters, about the spirituals, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed about spirituals. You know, we had a tongue interpretation. We had a a scripture, an encouragement. This morning, we've had those things. And that's what he's going to deal with in these three chapters of the proper use and exercise of those gifts. So he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about these things. And then he says something about my introduction, about the preoccupation with the scary. He says, when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to idols. Now, idols, we found out in chapter 10, when a person offers a sacrifice to an idol, they're actually making a sacrifice to a demon. I don't have time to get into all that means, but I will simply acknowledge that there is a spiritual realm. And when I find people being preoccupied 
with the evil portion of the spiritual realm, it is because they have a true hunger in their heart for the real portion of the spiritual realm. And us, I don't want us to be uninformed. I also don't want us to lack an experience regarding the spiritual realm. Are y'all following me? All right, good. So he says this. Therefore, I want you to know that the one who is speaking by the Spirit of God, or the, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. So spiritual things will always lead to Jesus being Lord. And then no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray that today you would speak to us. Our hearts would be open. Help me to give a lot of information really quick in a way that can be understood. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Amen. All right, turn and high five somebody. Give them a big smile. I don't care whether you've done it before already. Give them a big smile. You know why? You need a smile. All right. <clears throat> Spiritual things are all submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It will happen. I am not afraid of demonic powers. I am not intimidated by demonic powers. Because I have the name that is above every name, and that name is Jesus. So when confronted by powers of darkness, my light shines. This was never made more clear to me than when we were in Lhasa, Tibet. Uh, I took a team to Tibet several years ago from this church, and we were there to pray, and we were there to walk and observe, and it caused a burden in my heart that has changed the way I approach life and ministry because of encountering what I encountered in Lhasa, Tibet. We went to the Jakim Temple. The Jakim Temple is the center of Tibetan Buddhism. And they have the big Buddha there, but that's not what impressed my team about the Jakim Temple. Um, I, I could tell you a lot of stories, but I'm going to cut to the chase. While we were walking through the Jakim Temple, there was a sheep that was demon-possessed. How do I know it was demon-possessed? My entire team would tell you the sheep was demon-possessed. I don't know how we knew, except that he was standing there and never moved for 40 minutes we were in the temple. There were a lot of weird things going on in that temple. It was weird. The, the oppression was palpable. You could literally feel the oppression in the space. And people were buying off Buddhist monks to get them to say the right kind of blessing to force their deity to do what they tell them to do, which is paganism. And there, it was weird. But my team, we're walking through the Jakim Temple. And all of a sudden, my team starts flipping out. We had been under satanic oppression for close to 40 minutes. And as we're walking through, feeling this oppression for close to 40 minutes, all of a sudden, they started cracking. And the whole team was cracking. Because spiritual warfare is still warfare. And they, we were being attacked in our spirits and our minds. And they were like, this is freaking me out. And that sheep hasn't moved. And this sheep became the focal point of it all. I don't know how to explain it, but it happened. And these aren't weirdos. These are good godly people. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came into me with supernatural power. And I turned and you know what I said to my team? My daddy's bigger than their daddy. Anyway, <laughs> when I said that, when I said that, do you know what happened? My team started to smile again because light came back. Do you know what dispels darkness? 
light. And my daddy's bigger than their daddy. I said that our team, we begin then praying for the people in the temple. We begin focusing again because we recognize that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So spiritual warfare and spirituals, the first thing I want you to know is that Jesus is Lord. Who's Lord? Jesus. And Lord means he's in control. And there is no power in darkness that can even stand against him. All right, that's first of all. Now, today I want to look at the real. And how do we live with those gifts of the Spirit? And a couple of things I want to say. First of all, I'm going to just walk through the text a little bit. But the first thing I want to say about gifts of the Spirit is the gifts of the Spirit have not ceased. The gifts of the Spirit have not ceased. Um, very simple question I ask you. If God intended for the gifts of the Spirit to cease, why would he devote of limited time and space in the Bible three full chapters of an inspired word in how we are to go about using gifts if he was going to say, nah, you don't need them. Instead, he gives us three full chapters just on the proper use of the gifts of the Spirit. Why would he instruct us on how to use them if we weren't going to have them to use? That's like having a, an owner's manual with no car. Makes no sense. Now, there are guys out there like John MacArthur who recently wrote a book called um, uh, Strange Fire in which he asserts, he is a, a Baptist guy, and he asserts that all the gifts of the Spirit ceased when the Bible was given in its final canonized form and all gifts of the Spirit have ceased. So any attempt to use the spiritual gifts, any attempt to have the say the Spirit speaks to you, any of that stuff is beyond because God only talks through the Bible. And that's what he would say that all the gifts have ceased and he actually goes so far as to say anybody that talks in tongues or anything like that's demon possessed <laughs> it's funny to me because I look at the scripture he uses to make that statement and it's in this passage so of course we're going to look at it so if you flip over in chapter 13 I want to show you what the come on anybody ever heard that before all the gifts of the spirit have ceased they're no longer anybody heard that yeah all right all right so just want to make sure I'm talking to people who know what I'm talking about first Corinthians chapter 13 8 and 10 is the passage they all use this is the only passage they have you ready love never fails but where there are prophecies they will what prophecies will cease where there are tongues they will be stilled where there is knowledge, it will. All right, I agree with that passage. Tongues will, there's a time where tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge will cease. Can you back that up one, one simple slide? I, I want to be a smart aleck for a second. Can I be a smart aleck? Would you all be all right if I'm a smart aleck? All right, they tell me that tongues have been stilled, and I would ask them a question. How do they know that? There's no knowledge. I'm just saying. How can you know that they're the gifts of the Spirit have ceased if all the gifts of the Spirit Because the text you use says knowledge has passed away. And then he goes on to say, now we know in part and we prophesy in part, which is true. We know in part, we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And they said completeness. They interpret that because we got this Bible in its final canonized form in 350 AD. All gifts of the Spirit have ceased. And I would simply acknowledge that all gifts of the Spirit will cease when completeness comes. 
But rather than taking something from outside and then applying it to the text, why don't we simply let the text tell us when it's going to happen? Amen. Would y'all be all right with that? So can we skip down two verses? This is what it says in verse, tw uh, verse 12. Now we see only in a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see how? Face to face. Face to face. When are you going to see Jesus face to face? When you open up the Bible? No, no Paul even says a, a veil still remains over this when we read it. It's still difficult to understand. When are you going to see him face to face? When you're dead, bro. <laughs> when you stand before him. All right. Now we see in a mirror, then face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall know fully, even as we are fully known. Why will we need tongues? Why will we need interpretation? Why will we need prophecy? Why will we need miracles when we're standing face to face with that one who is all of those things? All right? So gifts of the Spirit haven't ceased. And what I would say to, can I be a smart aleck one more time, please? What I would say to John MacArthur who would tell me that he knows God called him into ministry. And if all of the voice of the Holy Spirit has ceased, John MacArthur, how do you know that God has called you? Yes. The Spirit had to speak to him to call him. People who make those arguments about the gifts of the Spirit speaking, the, ceasing, what they're really trying to say is the gifts of the Holy Spirit sometimes are a little messy. Uh, by the way, the word for spirit is wind. Now reach out and grab a handful of wind. And as soon as you grab it, it's gone. And if you think you can take control of God's Holy Spirit, that's when you think you're God. So gifts of the Spirit are always going to be a little messy. You know why? Because I can't control it. One other thing. If you tell me the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, like words of knowledge, prophecy, miracles, healings. Do you know what I'm going to tell you? You're saying I don't exist. Because I had a birthday, not Friday, but previous Friday. And, uh, and it reminded me of my story of my birth. Do you know my mother had a tumor in her uterus the size of a grapefruit? She had a tumor. That tumor had caused her multiple miscarriages. She was unable to have children. They were going to do a hysterectomy on her. It was at a Christmas Eve party, 1965. A 12-year-old spirit-baptized girl said to my mom, God wants to heal you. Sit down on the piano bench. Set her on a piano bench, laid hands on her. Debbie Loki was her name. Laid hands on my mom, prayed for her. My mom felt the tumor disappear when a 12-year-old girl laid her hands on her and prayed for her. And I was born October 1966, if that tells you a timeline. So if you tell me that miracles don't happen and gifts of the Spirit don't operate, I'm going to say, well, bull. <laughs> all right, second of all, let's define the gifts. Um, notice there's a Trinitarian nature of these spirituals. First um, um, Corinthians 12 verse 4 says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Do y'all see that? And there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And there are different kinds of working, but the same God. Lord, by the way, Kurios always speaks of Jesus. So there is uh, gifts of the Spirit. There are gifts of the Lord Jesus. 
or service of the Lord Jesus, and there is working of God. Notice the Trinitarian formula there because the three are working in unity to empower God's people for the works to which we are called. And uh, I believe we've got a QR. Uh, I, my notes are available through this QR code. We're going to leave it up for a bit. But what I did was I went through the Bible, and there were three different words there that we highlighted, gifts, working, and manifestations. And what I did was I, I went through the Scripture, and I literally looked up all of the lists of different gifts of the Spirit, all of the gifts of the Spirit. And, and I put them on this sheet of paper, and the sheet of paper looks something like this, and this is for further study. And what it does is uh, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, apostles, prophets, service, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, mercy, singleness, hospitality, miracles, healing, helps, administration, and tongues. All of those are what's called motivational gifts. And these motivational gifts, they are gifts of the Holy Spirit. They come from the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about those in a second. But what we do know about these gifts is that they are, um, no, I'm sorry, these motivational gifts are from God who works in us. And that's in verse 6 of our passage, the last one. Um, what these are, these are giftings that you have in you. So when you were born, there are some of you that are more merciful than others, like all of you are more merciful than me. But you're more merciful. There are some of you, you're just merciful. There are others of you, I mean, you have the gift of giving. A, a need comes along, giving just flows out of you. There are others of you, hospitality. I mean, you love entertaining people. Not like recluses like me. I hate entertaining. <laughs> there are others of you, you're single. God called you to be single. There are some of you prophetically, you just naturally have this gift inside you to speak and to see the future. Come on, there are people like Bill Gates that saw the future, didn't he? Right? Come on. It doesn't mean he's saved. It just means in him there is naturally a gifting, a motivation in him. And these motivations in you are motivations that are empowered and energized when you're plugged into the Holy Spirit. You naturally have these giftings, but they're plugged in to the power source when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of us, because we see some people that, you know, they're like, apostles are more what we would call entrepreneurs. And somebody's got an entrepreneurial spirit to them. Imagine if they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, what they could do with that entrepreneurial giftings, you know. Are, are y'all following me here? All right, so I want you to see that the gifts God gives, these original motivational gifts, they're from God the Father. And God gives them to us in our nature when we're born. All right? And then there are these, these uh, second is in verse uh, five, these are ministry gifts. Now, ministry gifts um, are, are their service, diaconia, service, they're, they're slaves. It's, it's jobs that are given. These are offices that are given to people when they are used by God to build the kingdom of God through an office of ministry. These are apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and they are mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4. Now these offices are assigned by God, or they're assigned by Jesus, because Jesus, it says the same word is used of him. He did not come to serve, but uh, uh, to be served, but to serve. So his job is a servant and he gives the offices of his church. If you read the, the passage in Ephesians 4, you'll see it. And, and these, by the way, all these gifts do exist today. Apostles do exist today. Prophets, 
pastors, teachers, evangelists. Just a word of warning though, if somebody hands you a business card and calls himself Apostle <laughs> Joe Smith, you can immediately dismiss them. Because a person who calls himself an apostle right now is trying to control and manipulate other people. And listen, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not given so you can control and manipulate, but so you can serve. We'll find that out in the next one, all right? And when I see somebody calls themselves a prophet, I've had people come to this church and say, I'm a prophet. God sent me to speak to this church. I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> but we won't get into that one. And then the last one are these manifestations. These are the charismata, the gifts given by the Spirit. That's in verse 4. And the Holy Spirit gives them. And, and we read about them, these, uh, chapter 12, verse 7. Now, to each one, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Can you put this one up on the screen? The manifestation of the Spirit is given to the common good. Common good. So what's the purpose of the Spirit's moving among us? That we all get stronger and better. Actually, can I read you in the Greek? I did a CNIV. I didn't put it on the screen, but this is my Crow's Nearly Inspired Version. I read it from the Greek. I wanted to quote it to you. To each is given a revelation of the Spirit to bring together. To bring it together. That's the reason there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit mentioned in the giving of these gifts is because they're in perfect unity. And the move and the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit are to bring the body to perfect unity, not to divide the body. All right. So this is what he said. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between Spirit. Can I back up right here? All of these things are superpowers that are beyond your ability. Yes. Right? We were in a board meeting years ago and we had a real problem. It, it, I'm not going to get into it. We had a real problem. And it was one of those problems that was powerful enough in the deacon meeting. I didn't just say we should bow our heads and pray. It was like, let's pray. Back the chairs up, turn around, bow your knee, call out to God kind of prayer. And we're in the middle of that prayer. And I believe it was Herb Phillips turns around, sits up in his chair. Anybody know Herb? He's not really one of those guys that take control kind of guy. But he did. He turned around, he sat up, and he gave a message of wisdom that was supernatural, divinely given. And all of us agreed immediately. Remember, we'd been fighting about this for 30 minutes. And in that moment of the supernatural gift of wisdom, we all agreed immediately and we moved forward. And the results proved it. Why does God give the gifts of the Spirit? The gifts of the Spirit are given to bring us together, to unify us together, to move together in a healthy way. And notice that Herb didn't know that fact. The Holy Spirit revealed it to him. And notice another one. It says, to, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. That's sort of weird. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. And all of these are the work of one and the same spirit. He distributes to each one just as he determines. So we talked about this tongues thing for a second. Let's talk about this. How can you give a supernatural gift in tongues unless you have ever learned to pray in tongues privately? So there might be a gateway to get into these supernatural gifts of the spirit. Now, your, your motivational gifts are yours, and they can be empowered. But there are certain gifts of the Spirit that are only available, only available 
when you step through a gateway of what's known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I don't have time, that's a different message. But I simply want to acknowledge there are some of these gifts you don't enter into unless you enter into a special relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that's what made these Corinthians feel super special. And what Paul has to write 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 about is because remember, these were guys who were born slaves, a lot of them, and they lived their entire lives as slaves. And all of a sudden they got free and now they feel all powerful. Why do they feel all powerful? Because they entered into a special relationship with God. They've now got these gifts of tongues and miracles and and now they feel special and Paul says, whoa, back the wagon up. This isn't about you. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So one, one other thing I want to say here, and I want to say this before we move away from these special spirit gives you this power in this moment to do something you don't normally do. Like pray a prayer of pray faith over somebody and see them healed. <laughs> Which I've seen happen multiple times in my ministry and life. It happens and it sort of freaks me out every time that happens. Because it isn't me. Alright, one more thing. Just, there's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, now... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things that are no law. And these fruit of the Holy Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit developing your character in you. And the fruit of the Spirit comes out of your life. And it is possible to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to operate in God's power and not manifest His fruit. Do you know what I'm saying? It's possible to be... I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's possibly somebody like Benny Hinn that sees miracles happen in his ministry, but yet he's a thief and a liar. And a manipulator of people. It's possible. Isn't that what happened to Samson? Samson? You know Samson, right? Supernatural power to pick gates up and carry them up the hill, you know, kill a thousand people with a donkey of a jawbone, push down a temple. Supernatural power. Was he a man of character? No. Yes, he was. He was a man of bad character. <laughs> My pastor's wife growing up, when I was a little kid, we went to a church. The pastor's wife, she would pray and she would get all Pentecostal and her Pentecostal bun would fall down and her hair would get flopping and she'd get to doing the jig and she'd prophesy and God was talking through her. Then she would walk out in the foyer and she was the meanest snake I've ever known in my life. Gossip, slander, backbiting, negativity. It is pop. It is possible to be spiritually gifted and not be spiritually fruited. It is possible. At Harvest Ridge, though, at this church, por que no los dos? <laughs> we got to have both. And there are some of you that when I talk about the gifts of the Spirit, you're like stiff-arming me. Oh, yeah, the Bible doesn't say we shouldn't have it, but I don't want to be weird. Can I talk to you about being weird for just a second? If you're a believer in Jesus, that means you have placed your identity and your eternity in the hands of somebody that you say died on a cross 2,000 years ago, was buried in a grave, resurrected from the dead, never died again, and you believe in him as Lord, and you actually give money and worship him. You're already weird. 
Get out of the kiddie pool. It's great in the deep end. That's all I'm saying. All right. The gifts practiced. Man, I got to move. Y'all, are y'all having fun? Good, then I'll take a couple more minutes. All right. The gifts practiced. The love chapter reminds us that love is the motivation for all we do. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, if I speak in tongues, I've been her angels. And I believe he's quoting. Remember how in this, this uh, book we've noticed Paul quote again and again and again. He's quoted their letter back to him. And I believe he's saying this here. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, I, I got the ability to talk like angels to God. <laughs> and that was their belief. And, and what Paul is doing is he's saying, hey, guys, even if you are talking like angels, but you don't have love, you're only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Because the, the way we practice the gifts is not about me, but about us. So chapter 14, Paul gives some clear distinction about how the gifts of the Spirit are be used. The first is, he says, public use of gifts are always to be for the edification of others. You can read about that in 14.12, 14.26. He makes those statements very clear. I encourage you to read all three of these chapters this week. Have some fun. Read them. Look at them. But the use of the gifts are always, anytime God does a supernatural miracle, it's always for the edification of others. Yes. Even though you might even get blessing out of it, it's always for them. All right, second thing is tongues, because why am I going to talk about tongues? Let me tell you why I'm going to talk about tongues. I dare you to go through and count the number of times in chapter 12, 13, and 14, the word tongues is mentioned. It's what happened on the day of Pentecost, you know? The church was baby, they were new, they were still in hiding, and the gift of the Holy Spirit came from heaven. They spoke with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And in the book of Acts, there are at least three separate times that people were, were praying and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues as a sign of the fullness of the Holy Spirit falling upon them. There was a, a reason for it, all right? So tongues are not to be rejected. But if they're used publicly, they must be interpreted. Amen. So the Corinthians were enamored with tongues, and this is why they probably called it tongues of angels, and they were speaking directly to God, so they were all excited about that. 1 Corinthians 14.2, uh, 14, anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to people, but to God. Man, they were all excited. Me and God, we've got the bat phone. Yeah. <laughs> You're not old, most of you aren't old enough to remember that. But the commissioner and Batman used to have a phone that only the two of them could talk on. And when I was a kid, everybody said, tongues are always like the bat phone. You and God are talking. Nobody else knows. Really cool. So Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. What does Paul say about you? What does Paul say about you? He'd like for you to speak in tongues. He does. But, notice the, yep. but I'd rather you, instead of it being about you, I'd rather you build other people up through prophecy. Yes. And he's going to go into great detail in chapter 14, but that's really what he's saying is, hey, listen, let's not get rid of this tongue thing. That's awesome and it's wonderful, but let's realize we're here to build other people up. Yes. All right. First Corinthians 14, 13, for the reason, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. All right. You know what that means? It means that if you, one of those crazy Pentecostals, you're a tongue talker, 
and you pray in tongues so somebody can hear you have a responsibility to turn it into a message they can understand and if you do not you are responsible for God of confusing them and making them think you're weird and if you don't believe it just read 1 Corinthians 14 that's exactly what Paul Paul says they will think you lost your mind just read it alright so one more 1 Corinthians 14, 18, because we're talking about tongues. A lot in this passage about it. Let me give you one more. 1 Corinthians 14, 18. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul did a lot of tongue talking. But, another negation, but in the church. So if Paul wasn't talking in tongues in the church, where was he talking in tongues? Outside the church. Now, you would have thought I was crazy last night. I, I have no idea why. But I had a burden on my spirit for some reason. And I was walking around J.C. Penney praying in spirit. I have no idea why. You're going to think I'm an idiot. I, yes, I'm one of those tongue talkers. I'm one of those weirdos. And last night, walking around J.C. Penney. You know who knew I was doing it? No one. Do you know why? It's not for show. If I'm talking to God and God's talking to me and we're talking about issues... Paul, that's what he was saying. I'm glad I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So this is our practice here. Let me give it to you, okay? If you've got a message or a tongue to give, give it. We will stop. Well, isn't that what we did today? We will stop. We will let the interpretation come out and then we'll, we'll weigh it. We'll judge it. But do you know what? If you're back there and you get all excited and you get all loud and boisterous and start talking in tongues, you have a responsibility to interpret to every person around you so they can hear it. And if not, shut up. We don't need your Pentecostal excitement, exuberant displays for the sake of your exuberance. Because if it's not building other people up, then it shouldn't happen. Are y'all following me? All right, good, good. You don't believe me then. Let me give you one more. 1 Corinthians 14. By the way, I, I will tell you, you can pray in the Spirit quietly at your seat. Nobody will know. You can worship in the Spirit quietly at your seat. No one will know. But if you start getting loud enough for other people to hear, then we need to stop and we need to make sure God's message comes out. Okay? Are we on clear ground? By the way, I am all for the gifts of the Spirit being in manifestation, 100%. There are three chapters telling us how to do it. We ought to at least do it. Yes. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, third, uh, 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. Someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God and say, okay, God, what you want to say? Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should do what? They should... Weigh carefully. That is why always gifts of the Spirit in this church will always be weighed publicly. Because we're going to weigh it against the revealed truth of Scripture. Not against, go sell all your stuff and join the Marines. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. I had a person tell me, but when the Holy Spirit comes on me, I can't stop. I'm like, you're a liar. Because God says you can. As a matter of fact, for all can prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Your, 
The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not force you to do anything you don't want to do. That's the reason I have never been slain in the Spirit. <laughs> I don't want to. I want, instead of that slain the Spirit craziness, you know what I want to do? I want to do an Ezekiel chapter 1. You know what he did? He was laying down and the Holy Spirit picked him up. So I say what we do is we bring everybody to the altar, lay you all on the ground, we pray for you, and you pop up like Pop-Tarts coming out of the toaster. <laughs> That I know is from God. <laughs> Come on, I'm just having some fun. All right, I'm, I'm going to lay on this plane right now, so the band's coming. I, I want to share a story with you, what happens when the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in operation. And this is a book I read years ago, and I reread this story. That's where I was this morning, was re-preparing this story. Uh, because the guy's name is Mulamba Manakai. And I had to work on that a lot. Malamba had a boy. He was a six-year-old boy, and I'm not going to even pretend to pronounce his name. But this happened in Africa. And this Malamba, it was 4 o'clock a.m. on Wednesday morning on June 12, 1985. He took his son to the doctor. And when they arrived at the hospital... At 4 a.m., Malamba's six-year-old son, Katashini, I believe I did that right, died. He had been sick. He died. Literally dead. They gave him a pronouncement of dead. The doctors then said, you should take your son over to this hospital so you can get a death certificate. So he picked his dead son up, took him to the second hospital, where they pronounced him dead again. Boyd's been pronounced dead twice. So, Malamba left the hospital about 10 in the morning to go borrow money to pay for the burial of his son. As he was walking out of the hospital, he prayed, God, you raised the dead in the scriptures. Could you raise my son from the dead? And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, there's this evangelist in town. My man of God's in town. Why don't you go ask him to pray for your son? It was 12 o'clock, just, just after 12 o'clock, when Mulamba walked into the meeting with about... I think there were about 3,500 people gathered. And Malamba walked into the room and the speaker, the guy preaching, I'm not even going to tell you who he was because he doesn't matter in the story. He stopped. You wouldn't know him anyway. He stopped. He backed up from the microphone and he was silent. And everybody in the room was watching him going, what's going on? And he said he felt the Holy Spirit speak these words to him. Uh, there is a man here whose son died this morning. Invite him to come forward. I want to do something wonderful for him. So in the middle of his sermon, the dude stopped and used those exact words. In the back, Malamba yelled, it is I, it is I, and he started running forward. Lord Jesus, in your name, the preacher prayed. I bind the powers of darkness and death. And they know this because this was recorded, by the way. <laughs> That's how they got the words. I bind the powers of death 
and darkness that are at work in this man's son. And I ask you to send your spirit of resurrection to bring him back to life. At the hospital at 12 o'clock as that man prayed this prayer, it is marked in the records of the hospital at 12 o'clock noon, June 12, 1985. The boy sneezed, coughed, and sat up in bed. Now this is a book I vetted. This isn't one of those crazy books, all right? This is a book I vetted. But I can tell you, I got another book in my office that lists stories like that everywhere. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for yesterday. Can I tell you the rest of the story, what happened out of that testimony? They had about 2,500 people in that meeting that Sunday. The next night, they had 200,000 people at their meeting. And literally thousands of people gave their hearts to Christ and literally thousands of people's lives were changed. Because when a word of knowledge, a prophecy, a miracle, faith, all of those supernatural gifts came into being, a community's world turned upside down. You thought tongues and interpretation were about you being spiritual or being weird. No. It's about us changing the face of a country that desperately needs it. And we can't do it in your power or in Kevin's power. We need the Holy Spirit's power. And what I want to invite you in today is I want to invite you in that power. Some of you, how you're going to step into that power is the prayers you're going to pray is, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord. There are others of you, you're going to pray, Holy Spirit, I've stiff-armed you long enough. Fill me with the Holy Ghost today. In the name of Jesus, fill me right now. There are others of you, you're a little dry. It's been a while. You're going to pray, Holy Spirit, fill me again. Renew me again. Come on, the water's really great. Let's get in the deep end. Would you stand to your feet with me? Our prayer teams are going to come. We're going to have people at both sides. If you're the person that your prayer is Jesus is Lord, you make sure you go talk to somebody today and they're going to pray with you. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you need that power in your life, get up out of your chair. Come to this front. Stand here. Lift your hands to heaven. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit and power. If that's you, let's do it. Come on, right now.